The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. The race for the next leader of the federal conservatives is officially underway. The party has now set and released the rules for the contest, which among other things includes a non-refundable $200,000 entry fee. Candidates now have until February 27th to throw their hats into the race. With more on what that could look like, we're joined by conservative strategist and political commentator Elise Mills. Elise, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, first off, before we get to that, uh, news has just come out this afternoon that John Baird's report on the conservative election um, race or the the campaign that they ran during the last election is finished and it won't be made public. Um, I think a lot of people want to know what was in there, but uh, I'm guessing that this is, is staying inside. This is a, this is for your eyes only uh, party paper. Not surprising to you, I'm guessing. Not surprising. We, I mean, internal documents like yeah. that don't get released to the public. But my question is, because it's still very confusing to me, would somebody like myself be able to see that? Mm. And I think as somebody who does my job uh, for the Conservative Party, I, I would like to see it. But the question remains, will I? And And if history tells me anything, I probably won't see it. I'll hear about it from contacts or colleagues that I have that might have access to it. But I, through conversations I've had with organizers and um, and people that are, are that are part of the party apparatus and in sort of elected or leadership positions, I have a pretty good idea what went wrong on the get out the vote strategy. And I, I knew from being a communicator what was going wrong on the campaign. Mm-hmm. So, but there are some details there that I would really like to know more about. So, if you had to sum it up, what went wrong? Um, I, I think it sort of begins in 2016, where you know Andrew Shear is not far off my age, and I think a lot of us were very familiar with him, and and not just familiar. I think there were a lot of people that were very good friends with him. Um, and I think as we kind of went through that process, we were excited to have a young leader come forward. And and what we began to realize, or at least I began to realize uh, outside of that first week of sort of the excitement of putting the communications team together, was that the communications was worse than what, was ha- what had happened in 2015. And that level of excitement and enthusiasm was slowly dissipating, not by the days, but sort of by the hours. And I think when you're in a job like mine, where I'm talking to fantastic people like you during campaigns, you and or you're debating your opponents like I do on a pretty regular basis, I want to be able to feel that enthusiasm. I want to have very clear policy that I can fight from the corners on, um, that there's a very clear separation between me and the other guy, um, and that I'm not creating my own my party's not creating their own errors and all of all of those things didn't seem to happen with the exception of creating my own errors and i think the level of trust and loyalty to the campaign to the leader started to dissipate when it became apparent there were elements of the sheer team that were not exactly uh Attractive, like the this this the silly forced error of are you an American or are you a Canadian, for example, uh, the issue around gay pride, the issue around abortion. 
I am a conservative, and I think it doesn't. And I and I don't care for anybody that wants to uh, to to display a bigotry towards the West. We're not knuckle draggers in the West. I'm a Western Canadian. I'm proud of it. What we care about is making sure our people can work. We want access to our economies. We don't want to have our resources expropriated by Justin Trudeau through bills like C sixty or C forty eight and sixty nine. I don't care what anyone does in their bedroom. I only care if there's a concern to the community. Apart from that, don't care. Um, and so to get tangled up in that garbage um, yeah, was really... You, at least there's a lot of people that are going to say that that's not garbage, though, whatsoever, that there were fears that some major changes could be made, whether it was right or wrong. So even if it was just optics, I mean, that wasn't going to help the party at all. There's a lot of talk about whether it's best to, you know, stay the course, maybe move over it a little bit more to the right, maybe become a little bit more progressive. And, and that was something that was pointed out all along here about one of the downfalls when it came to Andrew Scheer. Well, I'll just put the abortion question onto the table and show you why it was so silly and dangerous. Uh, So number one, the idea that uh, conservatives were going to roll back the clock on abortion was ridiculous. The other thing was it legally couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was intended, and where Andrew should have stepped up, is that we, myself as a woman, and I think when I brought this up to my female colleagues, there was an aha moment. Uh, It was intended to silence women's questions around our trajectory economically, fiscally, and socially in this country. No, there was no other space for a conversation in regards to women's policy or any other policy. Once we got caught in that corner, and then it was added on about, you know, the gay pride parade, things like that, there was no way out. And then the third sort of, you know, problem was the credibility around was he an insurance broker? Was he a U.S. or Canadian citizen? I found this all crazy. I mean, he wasn't some sort of secret American hiding out in Canada, I mean, as they sort of made it sound like. But when you have five of those issues lined up, it's really hard to get out from underneath it. And that's why I'm saying they're, they're self-inflicted errors that go along the way. I don't think marching in a gay pride parade is necessarily the issue. The issue is you need to let Canadians know that you respect all human rights and they're not negotiable. As Jim, as Jim Prentice and Brad Wall have all said, uh, two men I've worked for, um, we've never, I've never had an issue like this with another conservative leader. And I don't think it should be something that we allow opposition parties to define us on because what it did was it, it disabled us on the conversations that people in Alberta, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, other places want to hear us hear from us on. And we had so many opportunities to do that and we just got kind of stuck in this conversation that was quite moot and and unfortunately not not based in truth. Well, uh, Elise, you know what we could uh, we could go down that path and probably spend the rest of the afternoon deba- yeah, debating 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 <laughs> debating that one um, yeah. and you know I I'm, I'm going to um, agree to disagree with you on on some of those points but I I, I that's not why I wanted to, to talk to you today looking back necessarily I want to look uh, I want to look forward here and I want to know uh, your thoughts uh, you know the this this campaign is, is now under is underway. The race is now underway. There's been uh, a few things put in place. There's these new rules that 200 grand non-refundable, the 3,000 signatures of endorsement. I think it was 300 last time. What impact do you think um, these changes will have on, uh, on, on the candidates, on the quality of candidates, uh, and what we're going to see over the next 45 days? 
I think it has significant uh, uh, effects on how this leadership is being run versus 2016. And if you remember, we have 13 candidates. And the idea around this should be quality versus quantity. We're, we've already seen the outcome. We've already had a, uh, a, a, a candidate decide to bow out this afternoon based upon those requirements. One of our conservative organizers, a businessman uh, from out east, has decided to walk away mm. because that that price tag is pretty high. What that essentially means is, uh, uh, including the uh, fundraising limit, is that you're raising about $30,000 a week. And that requires um, not just a large uh, swath of supporters, but it's not just wide, it's deep. And you're, you're going to have people, you're going to have to ask your supporters to uh, commit to the max for you. And so you need to be able to have that list of supporters and fundraisers. And it can't just be 600 people. It can't be a thousand. It's got to be up in the, you know, tens of thousands of supporters, right, to be able to, to meet those markers. Um, I also think that the problem that we had in 2015 is that after Mr. Harper left, it left such a such an opening. Um, it was almost like releasing the a top off of a bottle. Mm-hmm. It, everybody was running different directions, trying to brand the party in these different ways. And the reality was, with all of the conversation and jibber-jabber, we didn't really get a good policy debate going on. So I think what we're going to see now are very serious contenders, which means you've had the background in policy mm-hmm. in or outside of the party. I hope that we see people from outside of the party, from the private sector, who identify as conservative mm-hmm. and want to be involved, jump in the race. Um, but this really li- leaves Pierre Polyev, if he chooses to run, in a very uh, enviable position, because those rules are really set up to uh, support and create success for a leadership candidate like Pierre Polyev. How so? Well, he has that, uh, he has those contacts and that support that I was talking about. He has the ability to fundraise and to be able to commit to that non-refundable donation. He has that huge amount of experience in policy. Uh, he's been one of the most successful uh, MPs that we have in the party. Um, he's He's been around for, for many, many years. Uh, I don't think there's a lot people don't know about Pierre Polyev. Um, the only cloud on the horizon for Pierre Polyev would be Rana Ambrose <laughs> entering the race. Okay, let's talk about that because, you know, I'm looking at three names in front of me. I've got Rana Ambrose, I've got Peter McKay and Jean Charest uh, in front of me, all being talked about. Uh, You said that Ronna Ambrose could be the cloud on the horizon. What about Peter McKay? What about Jean Charest as well? Um, I think Jean Charest comes with uh, more faults than good. Um, He has got a decade plus uh, spending a lot of time in the liberal zone. Um, I think he would have a lot to answer for in regards to the conversations or talking points he's had around the Conservative Party and the movement over the last decade plus. I think he has uh, some skeletons in his closet. I wouldn't say skeletons in his closet. I would say that he's not necessarily endeared himself to Western conservatives at times. And I would say at times he's also not endeared himself to uh, conservatives in Ontario. I also am concerned that we're starting to walk through the graveyards, yanking up, you know, (laughs) politicians from days long ago to be able to build a party for 2030, because in 2020, we're building a party for 2030, right? right. And so I would say with Peter, and what I would also say, Jalen, is 
I don't, as a woman, I have to say, I don't know many female politicians that would have the hubris of Jean Charest to think that they could come back after mm. with all those faults and think that they should come and take the helm of, of the new Conservative Party. Um, with Peter McKay, I think he's tiptoed and danced around this long enough. I'm not sure he's the guy that's going to take us to uh, to a win. I think what I was kind of hoping for was that we'd have more people coming forward from different places in Canada, from different experiences. I'm really looking to be, you know, my passion to be ignited. I want to have real fights about policy because that's where we're going to be able to decide on where we're going in the next decade. Um, I just don't see any of that right now, and I'm not that excited, but I'm hoping that's all going to change in a couple of weeks once everyone shakes off the hangover of Christmas and, <laughs> and the snow and the freezing cold that everybody's uh, having to endure. But I would say that Peter McKay does bring uh, a tremendous amount of experience. I'm just not so sure he has that ability to ignite the passion with all conservatives. You're talking about igniting that passion and inspiring uh, Canadians. I was reading an article today, and it was a, this is a quote from uh, Dan Nolan, the co-chair of the Leadership Election Organizing Committee. He says, it's not only the ability to fundraise, but more importantly, your ability to inspire Canadians to join our party and to do so under tight timelines similar to the pressure of an election. Inspire Inspiring Canadians. How challenging is that going to be, Elise? Inspire and to aspire to mm. be. Um, and I think if, if I'm being challenged by that, then we have to, as Conservatives, hear what I'm saying. Because I think I, I, I like to think I represent a particular demographic of, of a Canadian voter. Fiscally conservative, but tired of hearing the talking points from 2010. Um, I want to hear where you're going to take us in the next decade. The world has changed significantly since Mr. Harper was around. Mm -hmm. Even Mr. Harper has evolved from 2015. Ms. And I would say that about Rana as well. When you, If you get a chance to see her, if we're lucky enough to have her run for the leadership, and I mean that in the sense of it's going to be a quite an interesting show if she joins the leadership campaign because she's much more statesman now. She's mm -hmm. not just the former leader, interim leader of, of the opposition. She is now a statesman. She's a policy expert. She's been in Washington. She has seen the world over the last four years from a very different lens. And she would, she would be definitely a big contender coming to the stage. And I think then we can have a conversation that I'm much more interested in than what we've been doing for the last four years. Uh, Elise, before I let you go and we run out of time here, do you think she's going to do it? If you had to, if you had to put a bet on it, if you had to lay your bets... It, uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's, I think because I, I can see what's ahead of her, the opportunities that are sitting in front of her, uh -huh. and I can only go back to the last conversation I had with her about it, and I know that she wanted to spend time with her new husband. I know she was really enjoying uh, being in the position she, she is today. I, that weighs heavy on me because my hope is that she will jump into the race, uh, but I have this feeling in my chest that that is probably not going to be the case. And that's going to disappoint uh, a lot of our listeners, I can tell you that right now, yeah. Elise. All I have to do is look at my text line, and every time we have a conversation like this, that is the name that comes forward nonstop. 
Well, tweet her. Keep tweeting her. <laughs> keep, you know, create a blog, create a website. I'm with you on this one. I would love to see Rana join uh, the, the campaign. And I would also, I think we also have to remember is what it means when somebody that experienced and that, that effective as a communicator comes in, what it means for the party and the leadership race and the growth of the party. Elise Mills joining me this afternoon. Appreciate your time. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Stay warm. Yeah, thank you kindly. <laughs> Take care now. <laughs> Drive Bye-bye. safe. Bye-bye. Elise Mills is a conservative strategist and political commentator. She joined us this afternoon from Vancouver.